Uh, please, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. If you're using the Black Pew Bibles in the seats around you, 1 John 1 is found on page 959. If you're here as a guest or a visitor, uh, Merry Christmas, welcome, we're glad you're here. If you don't own a Bible, we want to just let you know that those black Bibles, we have lots of extras, and we would love this to be our gift from us to you, and you can think of it as an early Christmas present. The final thing we have to discuss over our four-week discussion of verses 1 through 4 in 1 John chapter 1 is the word joy in our big idea that I have suggested for the last three weeks, this being week number four. To catch you up to speed, especially for those of you that are out of town and here just for today, we've been looking at four verses in this letter of 1 John. It's the first four verses, the introduction of this five-chapter letter And I've summarized this introduction in a single sentence. We, Embassy Church, just like John, we should proclaim the word of life for the purpose of joy-filled participation in the age to come. Week one, we discussed the meaning of the phrase word of life. Who or what is the word of life? Week two, we discussed the action of proclaiming through word and deed, through testifying to the word of life. And then last week we discussed participation. What does it mean? Why does it matter? Finally, we come to the conclusion of this single sentence, joy-filled, joy-filled participation in the age to come. And so that catches all of you up to speed. And so what I'd like to do is just read the passage again and hopefully help you see why As we look especially at verse 4, our focus today will be on the joy that is found in Jesus Christ. So let's follow along as I read verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest... And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word, the word of life, endures forever. Amen? Here's the outline for today's message. Christmas or Easter? That's question one. Is the joy-filled participation that is being discussed here in verses 1 through 4 a Christmas joy, an Easter joy, or a both-and? Question two, is this joy for pastors or for church members? 
For the author, John, or for those he's writing to? Christmas or Easter, that's question one. Pastor or members, that's question two. And then, how does it come? Is it through reading the words that are written? Or is it from hearing the words that are proclaimed? When, who, and how? That'll guide us in our overview of verse 4 as it relates to this broader, dense, strange, complex, but joy-filled passage here on Christmas Eve. First, is this a Christmas joy? Or is it an Easter joy? Or do we even have to choose? In other words, I'm trying to ask the question, when is verse 4 fulfilled? That's the word. Look carefully at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. When, when is the joy complete? Can you have complete joy? Fulfilled joy? This word for completion is about a cup as an image. And you're pouring water, eggnog, holiday beverage, into a cup. And then once it starts overflowing, it's, it's full. It's fulfilled. That's the image of completion. It's fullness. It's fullness. And he's saying that you can be a receptacle as a human, like a cup, and have joy poured into you. And the idea here is that based on the difficulties that this church is facing, the loss and the sorrow of church members who have left, see chapter 2, verses 18 and following, that there is sorrow in the community, and he's writing to them so that he can fill up their joy. So when does that happen? Does that happen immediately now? Is this possible for you? Can you have a life filled with joy now? Or is this only a joy that comes when Jesus returns? Is it a Christmas joy? A joy we can have today, tomorrow at Christmas? Or is this an Easter joy, a resurrection joy, an ascension joy? Is it from the descending of God becoming man? Or from the man leaving, a coming joy? or a going and departing joy. John does, I believe, give us the answer, but not as clearly right here in verse 4, but in the surrounding context of this book and the previous book that he wrote, the Gospel of John. Here's a parallel. It should be right there, hopefully, on this page of the Scriptures. Look down to verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that. That phrase appears three times in the gospel letter of John, this first letter of John, 1 John. I am writing these things so that. Does that seem similar to verse 4 of chapter 1? We're writing these things so that. And in verse 4 of chapter 1, we're told, our joy may be complete. That's why I'm writing Chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. 
Are you writing so that they don't sin or are you writing so that they have joy? And hopefully you can see the relationship between the two because he's talking about a joy-filled fellowship of walking in the light as God is the light. That's what he says between those two. So look at the paragraph that links the two together. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus Christ. And we're proclaiming that message to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I want you to see the relationship between Jesus coming, the word of life who took on flesh. We've seen him. We have looked upon him and investigated him. We have touched him with our hands. And I argued that the touching here is more than likely a reference to the touching that happened as they put their hands in his nail prints, as they saw him resurrected from the dead. For that is, in fact, the other instance in which this word touching occurs in the Gospel of Luke. We have the account of John telling us that it was the doubting Thomas who came and touched his hands. So John is referring to that which was from the beginning. We've seen him come to life as a human and we've heard him and we've seen him. That's the joy of Christmas. But the reference to touching in addition to the idea of joy being complete, even in the spite of our sin and our sorrow, as a payment for sin, cleansing us of all of our unrighteousness. On the basis of our advocate who is with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, right now, ascended into heaven. It is not just the joy of Christmas that John is referring to when he says, we're writing to you about Christmas, incarnation, the coming of the Son. We're writing to you about why he came in the first place. To deal with sin and sorrow so that your joy would be complete now. In the resurrected and ascended Lord who is at the Father's right hand. So that we would have fellowship with him And that he's writing these things so that you would not sin, so that sin would not get in the way of your complete fullness of joy. There's two instances in John's gospel where he's going to talk specifically about completion of joy. The first is in John 3.29 when John the Baptist says, The one who has a bride is the groom. And the friend of the groom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. 
John the Baptist's joy is complete in the coming of Jesus Christ. So it's Christmas joy. But John's gospel also uses the completion of joy. I would agree with most Bible scholars and manuscript copy evidences that if you look carefully at the word our joy in verse 4 of 1 John 1, there's a singular number, number 1, right after the word our in the ESV translation. And it says that there is descriptions about whether or not the manuscript copies are your joy or our joy. And most of them, meaning the majority of manuscripts, say your joy is complete. I believe the reason for this is from John chapter 16, the passage that Mr. Nell read for us just a few minutes ago. And to refresh your memories, Jesus is talking with his disciples right before he dies in the upper room. This is not just about the joy of Christmas, but the sorrow of the death of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, John 16, 20, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. Jesus being born is joyful. Christmas is a wonderful time for you and I to rejoice at the coming of the Son of God into the world. But Jesus makes it very clear in the upper room discourse with his disciples that even though God has become human, there will still be sorrow, even from followers of Jesus. And it's precisely because of the reality of death. You will be sorrowful. But that sorrow will turn into joy. When? Will turn into joy when Christ is seen again, when he's risen from the dead. Your joy will be complete when you can ask in my name and I will give you anything. When he ascends into heaven and the Father has an advocate at his right hand and he's your advocate. This is what John chapter 16 Verse 24, that you just had recently read to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name, but ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. And that's the exact same phrase from 1 John 4. What I'm trying to argue here is that both in the context of 1 John 1 and 2, and in John's gospel, there is joy when the bride comes, and the bridegroom are married together, and that the groom has received his bride. But there's also joy that is complete when that wedding celebration is the birth of a new world, resurrection from the dead. This is actually the image that Jesus gives in that upper room discourse. Did you catch it when Etienne was reading for us? When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour of pain, her hour of suffering has come. That's what John means when he uses the phrase, my hour or his hour. And here he relates a woman ready to have a baby. With such anguish, after she's delivered the baby, remembers her anguish no more for the joy that a human being has born into the world. This is not a reference to Christmas. Jesus is using the reference of the birth of new creation, of a new earth, of life from the dead, of joy coming out of sorrow of the tomb being empty. So make no mistake about it, we don't have to choose between our first, what seems to be on the surface, maybe silly question. Is this a Christmas joy or an Easter joy? It's a Jesus joy. And the joy of Jesus at Christmas is that he came to die. Die for you. 
die for me. Die for the whole world to have the offer of salvation be given to them. Friend, if you're here today and you're not typically coming to church, but it's Christmas time, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I want to just ask, is your life typified, described, and basically summarized as full of joy? Do you believe it's possible to have a life filled with such joy? The Bible not only says that it's possible, it describes that Christians should expect there to be joy and we should live in the reality of this joy as a way that marks us out from the rest of the world. The world rejoices at the death of Jesus. Jesus makes clear in John 16, 20. And his followers will weep and lament. But when the baby is born, when resurrection from the dead occurs, then there will be eternal, everlasting joy that cannot be taken away, Jesus says. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one can take that joy from you. Just to clarify, especially for those of you that are not aware, Christian joy is not flippant happiness. It's as Jesus described here in John 16, a joy that cannot be taken away by the whims of the world, by the fluctuating circumstances of your life. I would just encourage you to think about your own life right now, Christian or non. Does your happiness fluctuate like the changing of the seasons? Or is your joy and happiness rooted in something that is historically, undeniably, objectively true? Something that entered into the world, not just when Jesus was born, but when the world was born again, when resurrection life appeared. This is what I believe First John is alluding to in its totality. Because the age of life and love has already begun, when the word of life not only took on human flesh, but became the propitiation death on the cross for our sins, and then he rose from the dead, then new life was born. Then joy entered into the world. Then joy became possible now. Not just when Jesus returns. Not just when you die, go to heaven. That fullness of joy, he is writing and anticipating that it can happen already now. So we proclaim the word of life for the purpose of you to experience joy-filled participation in the age to come because the age to come has already come in the person and work of Jesus. Not the age that is to come upon the end of your life when you die, but the age to come that is actually right now. And this is what the joy of Christmas should hopefully point us to. It is not the termination or the fullness or the completeness of joy. It is the starting point from which the journey of Jesus to a cross, to a tomb, to the right hand of the Father leads us. And there and only there will there be joy flowing from heaven to you and to me. So again, Christian, root 
your joy in Jesus. Not just the birth of Jesus, but in the totality of the entire gospel message. The fullness of the word who is life, eternal life. Life beyond the grave. Life ascended to the Father's right hand as our advocate. Do not let sin and sorrow and death steal your joy. Sap it. Take it away in any measure. There is right now in heaven the fullness of joy available to us. It's Jesus, the incarnate, resurrected Lord. When we sing into the conclusion of our service, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. He didn't become a king until he reigned and ruled the throne of heaven. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. The joy we sing in that song is about the joy of not the birth but the resurrected reigning Lord over heaven and earth. And so we hope that today you will realize that Christmas is the starting place, the seed from which the resurrection and ascension of Christ brings the flower that can be experienced for you and for me. So is this a Christmas joy? Yes. But ultimately, Christmas is fulfilled in Easter and ascension and coming return. That's question one, and I would suggest for each of you to make sure that you understand that you know yourself to be in the time between the times of the first and second coming, and that there is now available for all of us joy, which is our second point. Is this joy for the pastor or for the church members? Who's this joy for? And look specifically again at that little footnote, and we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete or our joy may be complete. The Bible is the Word of God. It is written down and copied by men. And this could be one of those points where some of you, whether as cold, hard skeptics toward the Bible and its reliability and trustworthiness, be like, see, look at this, manuscript, copies, we don't know what it says. Is it your joy or is it our joy? And then some of you that might be Christians be like, yeah, that, that could be really concerning. The whole Christian faith might turn and fall on this one difference between our joy and your joy. Well, friends, these are the sort of things that I do want to just point out. The Bible is a combination of words written down by men inspired by the Holy Spirit. God and man, just like the incarnation, the joy of Christmas, the coming together of God and man is what the Bible is, a combination of God and man in their fullness. And because of the man nature of this book, there is the sense to which there are original copies of what we call the first letter of John. And then there are copies of those copies. And we have thousands of them, literally tens of thousands at our disposal to study and research. And the majority of those copies say that verse 4 is, and we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. 
The earliest of those copies, so the oldest, say our joy. So which is it? Is it our joy? Is it your joy? Does the entire reliability of the Bible stand and fall on whether or not this question gets answered? Well, think about it. Is this describing whether or not Jesus is God? No. Is this unpacking for us the important doctrines as it relates to sin and salvation? No. Does it really even make a big difference? I don't think so. For in fact, we know from 2 John, just turn your Bibles, 2 John, that John's joy is rooted in the joy of his church members, those that he loves. 2 John verse 4. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. John rejoices, not just a little bit, but greatly, because of the prospering joy of other people walking in the truth. Since you turn to 2 John, just turn your eyes to 3 John. Look at 3 John, verses 2 through 4. Same author writing and talking about his joy, and look at verses 2 through 4. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Our joy, your joy, do you see that a faithful pastor, his greatest joy is not you giving me Christmas cards and presents, although by all means. The greatest joy of a pastor on Pastor's Appreciation Month is you walking in the truth. Ask any solid Bible teacher, elder, someone that seems to smell like Jesus. The greatest joy that you could give any elder of any church is obey the word, trust the gospel, love Jesus, and demonstrate that love by your love for one another. The greatest joy that John could have is knowing that you all in the church are prospering. Do you see what I mean? This manuscript difference, it's kind of irrelevant. Our joy, your joy, I am writing these things so that our joy, which is your joy, would be full. That when I see your joy, it makes my joy fuller. Perhaps it sounds a lot like Jesus himself, who in the one strange occurrence of Jesus speaking in the gospel of Acts after ascension, randomly, we're told, for isn't it what the Lord Jesus himself said? It is more blessed, more happy, more joyful to give than it is to receive. Who, in fact, would you say is the most joy-filled human in your life? When you think of a person, a family member, a friend, is the person again looking in the mirror that you see? Is it you? The most joy-filled human, happy, content, not phased. I would argue the most joy-filled human that's ever walked this earth is none other than Jesus Christ. But his life was marked out from beginning to at the end of self sacrificial, others-centered 
giving. I did not come to be served, but to serve. All of us should know. This tradition of giving presents on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, whatever you might do, however many you might give or receive. If you've participated in this practice for any length of time, then you should know that the greatest joy, the one that really lasts, the one that really fills the cup, is not the joy of the gift received, but that perfect gift given. Kids, I want you to think through this. For those of you that are in the room, I know from my own upbringing, there was a anticipating joy that tomorrow's Christmas presents are under the tree. And there is a kind of joy, but it's fleeting. I don't play with my Nintendo 64 anymore. It didn't last very long. But that was one of the best Christmas presents I remember ever receiving as a kid. A Nintendo. I was so happy. Now, never mind, my parents, they put a bunch of collection of garbage together and they tricked me into thinking all I was getting was a bunch of trash and wrapped it up and put it under the tree and then for the entire morning had me open up things that were immediately thrown away only to realize, ha, it was a joke and then gave me the Nintendo 64. It was memorable, friends. Sorrow turned to joy. But it was fleeting. And that it is with all the things of this world. But there is a kind of sorrow that turns to joy that's a part of this age of life and eternity that never ends, the age to come. Children, do you know this joy? Do you know that this is not a grown-up joy? This is not just something that's for those that are over the age of 18. The who is everyone. Jesus Christ did not just die for the sins of the Jews, but also the sins of the whole world. He died for all of us to receive the gift of salvation. And when you receive it, it creates this strange paradox of that receiving turns into a joy of wanting to give. In fact, my best hope for you is that every sermon that I preach would be a joy of serving you so that when you receive the work of my labor would be you obeying and receiving and being thankful for it only for you to then serve others. It becomes like this cycle of nonstop joy-filled outdoing love and service for one another. John's greatest joy is to see the joy of the other loving one another. So children, realize that the greatest joy there is, is found not in the receiving of a gift, but in the giving of it. So receive the gift of eternal life. Receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Receive the gift of eternal, complete joy that no one could take away from you by repenting of your sins, trusting in Jesus, walking in the light and the honesty and truthfulness of Scripture. And when you do so, you will know that it's truly going on in your heart and life because it produces joy that's found in the love of others.
as John Piper has rightly said, the joy, which is our Christian duty, does not reach its climax in our private communion with us and God. Rather, it reaches its fullest extent only when it is compounded by the joy of seeing others share in that joy with us. The fullness of joy is not found in just receiving the gift of salvation, but in the sharing it with others who are either believers or non-believers for them to understand the joy of Christmas, the joy of Easter, the joy of that if you have sinned, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who has taken away all of our sins and made it possible for us to walk in the fellowship of the light, the light in him there is no darkness. One more cross-reference with the letter of 2 John, if you do want to just turn your Bible over there. This is how John concludes his letter. And I think this sets up a nice segue between question two and three. We've already asked, when is this joy possible? And I said, it is possible now because resurrection has happened now. Incarnation and resurrection from the dead. So come, come to the waters, ye who are thirsty even without money. Come, buy and drink. Come now. Second question, is this John's joy or is this the joy of the church members? And it's a both and. It's a reciprocal one anothering. And that's found precisely here as he closes out 2 John verse 12. Again, notice the similarity of language. Oh, I have much to write to you, but I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Our joy. Our joy is complete when we see face to face. Our joy is complete when we're in fellowship, when we're in koinonia, we're in communion with one another as that fellowship is joined with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So is the joy the fruit of writing letters or is it the fruit of proclaiming face to face with one another? Does the joy come from reading a text on a page or listening to someone speak to you? How does it come? That's our third and final question. John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I don't think, again, we need to choose between reading and listening as the means by which the joy is available and the precise mechanism that you and I should access access this joy. It's found through the word. And that word could be written on a page and read. Now, more than likely, most of these people in the church, they would not have been able to read. The literacy rates are not nearly as high as they are now. So this idea of um, a good faithful Christian should take their Bible home and they should take it from the black pew as a free gift from Embassy Church to you. Again, that offer still stands. And then you should read the Bible at home. That's never commanded in the New Testament for two very important reasons. Number one, there was not the printing press and there was not the excess of Bibles all over the place. There were not Bibles in the pews. There would have been these very few copies of these letters that only a handful of churches would have had and they would have circulated around and people would have worked hard to memorize them and then recite them out loud. And then it would have been through the ear that they would have heard 
this first John letter read. And that's true from much of the Old Testament. Scribes would have not just meticulously copied Old Testament texts and carefully preserved them in scrolls, but they would have memorized them and recited them. And the best of the best, those with the really, really sharp memories, and for those of you in the church that you're like, that's not me, just be thankful that there are those people, those photographic memory type people. Well, they existed thousands of years ago. And they were chosen and selected as to be the people that would read and recite God's word and it would be proclaimed, heralded, and spoken out loud. And so the choice between reading and listening or text on a page and a human in front of you is kind of like an arbitrary choice. But I do think it's important for you to realize that here we are today the blessing of God's word available to us and the majority of you in this room, based on my interactions with most of you, is that you know how to read. Literacy rates are high. Bibles, they're free for the taking. You can read God's word anytime by yourself or out loud. And John says that it's through the writing down of these truths in 1 John, both the ones that come before verse 4 and the ones that are going to come after. That he's writing these things down for your joy. Christian, make no mistake about it. Regular reading of scripture helps your joy fill up. Joy is found as we abide in the word of life, Jesus Christ. And as we walk in the light, in the fellowship of him. Doesn't this sound very familiar? John 15, the words of Jesus in that same upper room discourse, sermon lecture, Jesus says to his disciples, if you abide in me and my words, they abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And by this, my father will be glorified that you would bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. So abide in my love. And if you would keep my commandments, You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I am abiding in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That image of koinonia that we talked about last week, one of the descriptions I gave to you, the image of koinonia is a vine and its branches. It's not a collection of marbles that gathered together on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2023. You're not primarily individuals with your own autonomy. And we have, it just so happened, gathered together to hear a sermon and some songs and scripture readings. No, Jesus is saying that the nature of our fellowship is so interconnected to him, the word of life, that apart from him, we don't even have life. And that we will only bear fruit as a branch if we would abide in his word. And his words are living and abiding in you. They're remaining in you. They affect you. They stick with you. And then those words can be summarized as he just keeps flip-flopping word pictures here. Abide in love. Abide in word. Because his word is love. His message is life and love. We said two weeks ago. So abide in his commandments. Obey those commandments, not as a means to salvation, but as a means of receiving the life and love that he offers 
as he dies on the cross for sins, that love poured out through the Holy Spirit causes one to want to offer oneself in obedience to others-centered love, which is the summary of all the commandments. Love God. Love neighbor. The means by which then comes from the word, and the word can only be received through reading, listening, however the instrument is, but we should especially prioritize, as I think Second John does. Text messages are great. Emails, helpful. Newsletter subscriptions during Advent, hopefully encouraging. Pages from a book versus face-to-face interactions. Oh, I have so much more to say. So much more I'd want to write down on paper and on ink. But isn't there something of an analogy here? That the fullness of joy that John believes in is found not just with writing a message, but communicating it face-to-face, person-to-person, looking you in the eyes and telling you, God does, in fact, love you. He demonstrates this love in that while you were still sinning, he died for you. He didn't wait for you to clean yourself up. He came to you in your mess. He died for you in that broken state of sin and sorrow so that your sorrow of sin, death, sadness could be turned into joy when he rose again from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand to pour out the spirit of love and life and joy into your heart now. Somebody sitting down and talking to you or me standing up here and talking to you and saying, friends, this is real. This is real coming from within me to you. I'm not just reading a script. I'm not just looking at a Bible text and saying, here's some important truths from an old book. It's a good bestseller. We should take it to heart. The words have abided in, and then they come out to you. There's something so Jesus-like, so gospel-like about this practice of you not sitting at home watching church on a television screen or listening even to a sermon audio clip from Embassy Church, but for you and me to be in the same place. Friends, do you know the difference between these two? The word spoken of I love you over the course of a long-distance relationship when a loved one is far off on a trip or travel versus the reuniting face-to-face embrace of I love you, I've missed you. The fullness of joy is found especially in face-to-face interactions, flesh and bone, right in front of you. Brothers and sisters, guests, visitors, non-Christians, the message of Christianity, unlike every other message, unlike any other holiday, is that face-to-face joy has come and is coming. That's why we celebrate. Rejoice. Take heart. He has overcome the world and he is coming again and you will see him face-to-face again. Yes, this text message, email, long-distance communication, written down on a page, is coming to you right now from a messenger on a stage down to you. 
I love you. I love this world. I've done something to take sorrow and turn it into joy. But how much better and more glorious should we be anticipating the day when Jesus himself returns and declares once and for all, death will be no more, wipes all the tears from our faces, raises the already departed from the dead, gives you and I new eternal bodies of flesh and bone, remakes the heaven and the earth. That's a joy no one can take from you, and that's a joy no one will take from him. So have confidence, confidence today that joy is already available now, but the fullness of it, the true filling of our cup won't come until you see him face to face. But you can have confidence because he's got a face. I mean a real one, a literal human face. He will forever remain tethered to this created world. The incarnation wasn't a short temporary time for 33 years that then got dissolved when Jesus ascended to heaven. He's coming again. So we wait. Advent is officially over after Christmas Eve. But in many ways, Advent is just beginning as we wait to see him face to face for the fullness of our joy when he returns. Trust in him. Believe in him. Turn from sin. Hope in the one who has already come and comes again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you that we are not believing in myths and fairy tales. We are believing in the historical reliability of the events of human history. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ is right now at your right hand as our advocate representing all humans on the earth that any human, they would turn from their sin and receive the free gift of salvation, receive the grace that's been offered to them, not on the basis of their good works, but on the kindness and the mercy of your merits. Lord, we pray that even now this Christmas, whether here at Embassy Church or around the world, there would be those that receive the gift of your love and your joy being poured into their hearts so that they would become people of love and joy for the sake of serving and loving others. Oh Lord, make this boomerang effect of constant giving and receiving never end. May the receiving of this very sermon be the opportunity to give and serve our families today and tomorrow for the rest of our lives and increase our hope and our longing for the face-to-face joy that will come upon the return of Jesus to make all things new. It's in his name we pray. Amen.